welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 13th of December 2015, entitled Thoughts Upon Philippians 4, and the Bible reading is taken from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9. Here's Brother Steve Elliott. Lovely to be with you, uh, to be able to bring the word to you this evening. It's a real privilege. Um, you'll have to turn in your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 4. And I like really just to uh, bring some thoughts upon this passage of Scripture. Um, we're going to read from verse 4 down to verse 9. And remember that Philippi was the place where Paul had actually been in prison. It's the place where Paul had known all about being in a dungeon, in a prison, chained up, a miserable place. Um, but Paul was able to say these words, even in the light or the darkness, if you like, of that place. Um, shall we stand for the reading of God's word? Um, verse 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. In verse 9, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Let's just have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this portion of Scripture. We pray that you'll speak to each and every one of our hearts. Dear Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, the first thing I'd like us to um, see in verse 4 is that Christians should rejoice all times. Notice how emphatic Paul is in verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, and again, I say, rejoice. You know, if it says something in the Bible one time, we need to take notice. But if he says it twice in the same verse, then it has a meaning that we need to receive. Very important. And he's saying here, rejoice in the Lord always. How can we rejoice in God always? How? I don't know. But I do know that we can because God's word says that we can. He says rejoice in the Lord always. He wouldn't say it if it wasn't possible. And then he says, and again I say, rejoice. I wonder why is it that so often, us as Christians, we seem to go around as if we've just had free teeth pulled out at the dentist, you know. Being a Christian, it's not very good, is it? Where's the joy? Where is the joy of the Lord in Christians today? Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, always. And again, I say, 
rejoice. Well, you may be asking this evening, what is there in the Lord to rejoice in? Let me know. What is there? Well, why don't we start with number one, salvation. If we've got anything to be joyful about in the Lord, it's because we've been saved. If we realize what we've been saved from, we should be the happiest people upon this earth. Let me just share a few scriptures. Uh, Psalm chapter 5. Just keep your hands in Philippians because we're going to go through some of those verses. Um, Psalm chapter 5. And, you know, King David, he had some problems, didn't he? He knew what it was what it was like to have his soul cast down, but he also knew what it was like to have joy. And um, this joy here is related to salvation. Um, notice what he says in verse 11. He says, but let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. If you've put your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, you can rejoice. Amen? You've got something to rejoice about tonight. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. If we are Christians tonight, we love the name of Jesus. And you can shout out as loud as you want. Maybe when you get home, maybe when you're alone in your, in your bedroom or in your, in your dining room, you can shout out with joy because God has saved you. Wonderful. Verse 12, for thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. Let's stay in, in the Psalms, Psalm 118. And um, the Psalms are a wonderful book. In fact, it's probably my favorite book in the Bible. Uh, it's where the rubber hits the road, if you like. I don't know how you express that one in Romanian. It's where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? And um, it's where we are, basically. Um, 118 and verse 14. Okay, the psalmist says, the Lord is my strength and song. If you're a Christian tonight, you have a song in your heart and you have strength and it's become my salvation. Verse 15, the voice of rejoicing and salvation in, is in the tabernacles of the righteous. Do you know this? That if you're a Christian tonight, God dwells in your body. This is the tabernacle of the Lord. He dwells in there by his Holy Spirit. And you are to rejoice. Not only that, but in here tonight, this room, this place that is a church, this is the tabernacle of the Lord. And when we come in here, we can rejoice in the Lord. This place has been set apart for that. Wonderful. Psalm 132. There's one verse here. And verse 16. There's so many verses we could look at. Uh, verse 16, the psalmist says, I will also clothe her, no, sorry, the Lord says, I will also clothe her priests with salvation. Do you know that if you're a Christian here tonight, that you've been clothed with the robes of righteousness and you're a priest tonight to the Lord. And he says, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. Isn't that wonderful? We've got something to be joyful about tonight. Not only salvation, but what about soul winning? You know, one of the reasons why I think that as Christians we are miserable a lot of the times 
is because we don't go soul winning. There is joy in soul winning. I don't know if you've ever had the joy of leading somebody to the Lord. But if you have, you'll know what I'm talking about tonight. Because not only is there joy in heaven with the angels, there is joy down here on the earth for that person who has led that person to Christ and also the person who has come to Christ can rejoice. Wonderful. Psalm 126. And it's quite a familiar, familiar verse. And it says in verse 5, it says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. When you bear precious seed, when you bear the seed of the word of God, you may just think that it's fallen upon deaf ears and upon stone-cold hearts, but we just don't know. And one day I believe that when we're in the glory, we're going to see people in the glory that we have had a part of their salvation. We've sown the seeds. Maybe it might be an invitation that we've given out to come to the, the meals here at Christmas time. And we've shared the word of God. How wonderful. Never think that the word of God has just had no effect. We don't know. Sow the seeds. Bearing precious seed, the Bible says. And the Bible says here that there is joy in soul winning. Wonderful. You know, let's just turn back to the book of Philippians. Um, actually, rejoicing is a central part in the book of Philippians. And it's amazing, isn't it? When you think of the, the background, when you think of Paul's story, of where he was. What happened to Paul? You know, he'd been preaching about the Lord and people didn't like it and eventually he ends up, is it with Silas, I think, in prison, bound up, okay? And if anybody had a reason to be miserable and to be down and just go under, it would be Paul. He would have all the reasons. But what do we see Paul doing in prison? What does he start doing? He starts singing, doesn't he? He starts singing the praises of God in that place. Him and Silas. And what happened? The doors opened, didn't they? And somebody came to faith. All because Paul knew the joy of the Lord. Even in trials and hard times, he had that joy, that peace inside, that assurance that God was with him. And he ended up with people getting saved. A whole household, I believe. Um, I'm not going to go through all these scriptures, okay, but, it, you know, later if you want to have a look through the book of Philippians, but chapter 1 and verse 4, we see that there is rejoicing in prayer. When we come together and we pray about things, there is joy. Chapter 1 and verse 18 says that there is joy in preaching. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, there is joy in Christian fellowship. When we come here in the church tonight, there is joy in the Lord. Chapter 2, 17 and 18 says that there is joy in self-sacrifice for others, loving others, caring for them, giving for them. Chapter 3 and verse 1 says rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 4 and verse 10 says that there is joy in giving, Christian giving. That's against 
the standards of the world are, isn't it? In the world, really, just want to hoard everything to themselves, don't they? But as Christians, the Bible says that there is a joy in giving. Letting that which the Lord has given to us pass through us and go to others that need it. Wonderful. There is joy. There is joy for the Christian. I wonder this evening, have we lost our joy? You know that you can't have real joy. You can't have the joy of the Lord if you've never become a Christian. Because first of all, we need to have peace with God before we can have the peace of God and know the joy of the Lord. You know, it's written in the Bible that the joy of the Lord shall be your strength. And we need salvation to be strong in the Lord. I wonder tonight, do you know the joy of the Lord? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal saviour? You may do here tonight. But maybe as a Christian, you've lost your joy. It's just gone. How can we get that joy back? What are the steps that we need to take tonight? Well, if you'd like to turn to the book of Lamentations, you know Jeremiah? Again, if somebody had a reason to be miserable and down and out of it and start sulking, it was Jeremiah. Jeremiah knew what it was like to be down a pit. Lamentations chapter 3. Does anybody know what lamentation means? What does it mean? Weeping? Yeah, it's an expression of sorrow. And that's why the book's called Lamentations, because Jeremiah was lamenting for his people because they were in sin. And that's what sin brings. Sin does not bring happiness and peace and joy. The Bible says it brings death. Well, let's just see what the steps were that um, Jeremiah goes through here. Chapter 3. And uh, we'll start here in verse 40. And uh, this is what we need to do if we've lost our joy. Jeremiah says, Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. And it may be, it may just, may just be tonight that the reason why we've lost our joy is because there's sin there. Sin is not going to bring joy. And Jeremiah here is saying that one thing that we need to do, the first thing that we need to do is we need to turn and we need to repent. The Bible says, repent ye and believe the gospel. That's the first step. If we want joy, Christian joy, it may be that we have upset somebody. It may be that, um, that something's happened in our lives and we've lost our joy and you know, the first thing that we need to do is we need to turn back. We need to go back to where we were. We need to turn back to the Lord. And we need to repent. How is it tonight with us as Christians? Um, if we just turn to Psalm 86, not only do we need to turn and repent, but you know, these things don't just happen by themselves. Psalm 86 we need to take steps. Psalm 86, I'm not going to read all this psalm, but in verse 3, the psalmist here was bowed down. And um, he says, Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee. How, how often? Daily. You see, he had to do something about losing his joy. 
And he says here that he cried unto the Lord daily. He was determined to do something about his situation. And maybe here tonight, we've lost our joy, but it's up to you to get it back. You need to repent, I need to repent, and we need to turn back to the Lord, and we need to cry unto the Lord, and even if it takes every day, we need to get it done. And he says in verse, um, far, uh, sorry, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord, sorry, rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. And we see here that the Lord is ready to forgive. Verse 5, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. And we see here that we need to take steps. We need to lift up our hands. We need to lift up our hearts to the Lord. And we need to do something about that loss of joy. If that's where we are tonight, wonderful. You know, God is a merciful God. He loves us so much. And he delights in mercy. He delights in it. Just turn back to Philippians. We've looked at rejoicing in the Lord. Let's just have a look at moderation. Um, notice in verse 5, Paul says to these Christians, he says, let your moderation be known unto all men, and then he says, the Lord is at hand. What is moderation? Anybody give me a description of moderation? Gentleness, yeah. Tolerance, okay. Anything else? What about self-control? Moderate, okay. I believe that what we're seeing here is Paul is telling these Christians that they need to have self-control over their actions and over their reactions. And he's basically saying to them that moderation is the quality of restraint from excess. You know, so often we're tempted to just lash out, aren't we? Let's be honest. We're all flesh. We've still got the flesh. And if we're honest, it's happened to us. I know it's happened to me, and I know it still does. You know, and if I need this, if anyone needs this message in this church tonight, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I need to hear this message. I heard it this morning. And I'm going to hear it again tonight. And, you know, I need to start taking steps, but we all do, because we're all living in this, this world, aren't we? Um, but he's basically saying, it's the quality of restraint from excess. Let's just turn to First Timothy chapter 3. And I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, at Kingsmead Baptist Church this morning, um, there is one young fellow, he's called um, Paul, and um, he's praying at the moment about becoming a pastor there. And uh, I didn't really know that he, that he was coming for this reason. Uh, he wasn't there in the meeting when I was there. He came later. But do you know that um, Paul speaks here about restraint, about holding your peace and about holding back, okay? And he's speaking here about pastors. And this is one of the qualifications that, you know, there are many people behind the pulpit that don't deserve to be there. They shouldn't be there. And one of the reasons is, is because there's no restraint. Um, let me just read you a few verses. These are the quali qualifications he says in verse uh, 2, he says, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, 
of good behavior given to hospitality, apt to teach. Notice what it says in verse 3, not given to wine. So now he's speaking really about excess. He's speaking about holding back, not giving over to something, right? And he's saying no striker, notice that word striker, not greedy or filthy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetousness. Uh, sorry, not covetous. So here are some of the qualifications uh, of a pastor. Now, there are men, especially, who are behind the pulpit today, and I know of one, and this man can be seen on, on video, okay, and he doesn't have the qualifications of being a pastor. And um, one of the reasons why he doesn't is because he mocks, he reviles, and he strikes out at sinners. He strikes out at a certain group, if you like, of sinners. People, this group, um, they're involved in this kind of sin, and it's awful, it's abhorrent to God. Okay, but this pastor thinks that he has the right to strike out. And he strikes out with his mouth. He strikes out with his words. He calls people names. And he drives them down into the dirt. And he, and he, he prays that these people will go to hell. And he says that these people will never go to heaven because of the sin. that We, we know that's not true. We know, you know, if this pastor had ever read the book of Ephesians, he'll realize that we do those kind of things. We, we have done those things in the flesh, but those are things in the past. If we're Christians, the Bible says that we've become new creatures in Christ. Well, these people don't realize, in a way, how bad it is. They don't know that they're, that they're offending God. If you want to know this man's name, I'll, I'll share it with you later. No problem. But he stands in the pulpit and he lashes out with his words and he calls people all sorts of names. Not only does he lash out with his mouth but he also lashes out with his feet as well. And he actually kicks the pulpit hard and he smacks his hand down and he smacks his Bible down on the pulpit. Is that how ministers are to react? Is that how us, us as Christians are to react um, to those who are outside of Christ? Well, let's just have a look at some scriptures and find out. Titus chapter 3, and again, uh, these are the... Titus was speaking about the qualifications of a pastor, but it's not just the pastor. This can apply to just the ordinary run-of-the-mill, if you like, Christians like, like me. Um, chapter 3. Um, chapter 3 and verse 2. And uh, this is how we as Christians are to react. Verse 2 says, To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness, Unto all men. Verse 3 For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And we also hated God, by the way. But verse 4 But after that, the, love, the, the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, toward man appeared. And that's what happened when we became Christians. Our eyes were opened, and we saw the Lord. We saw ourselves as well in the light of Scripture, what we're like. But you see, 
We need to be, we need to hold back. We need to be restrained sometimes. Um, I wonder this evening, are we prone here to lashing out? Maybe somebody cuts you up on the motorway, on the A5 when you come into church or down the M6 or down Kingsbury Road. Um, somebody comes out in front. Are we prone? Or do we lash out with our swear? And if we're honest, it shouldn't be like that. The Bible says here, speak evil of no man. And it says, showing all meekness unto all men. The Bible says, let your moderation be known. Um, why does he say that? Well, I believe there's two reasons here. Um, the first one is because of a testimony. You know, it can take years and years to build up a testimony, but it can take seconds to knock it down. We need to be careful in our actions and our reactions as well. It may be that we've been witnessing to somebody for many years, somebody who's close to us, and suddenly, bang, we swear, we curse, we've done something, and all of a sudden that person says, wow, if that's Christianity, I don't want to have anything to do with it. That happens. We need to be careful. Let's just turn back to Philippians in verse 5. Paul says, let your moderation be known unto all men. You see, moderation is something that is to be known. It's to be a testimony. It's to be a witness. But secondly, we see that it also has to do with judgment. Because Paul says that the Lord is at hand. He's basically saying here that the Lord's return is imminent. It can happen at any time. And he's basically saying that every idle word that comes out of our mouths, we're going to have to give an account of one day to the Lord. The Lord is at hand. And we need to be careful with the words. I'm preaching to myself here tonight. Not only do we see moderation, but verse 6, we see that care is forbidden. What do I mean by care? Let me just read you. Um, you see, this verse here, let's just read it in verse 6. Paul says, be careful for nothing. This verse is not saying that as Christians, we don't need to be caring people. Okay? He's not saying that we don't need to be diligent and we don't need to be concerned about the way we do things and, and, and people. He's not saying that we don't need to be careful. He's basically speaking about getting anxious and worrying. He says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. I don't know if you've heard of a man called uh, Matthew Henry. Okay. Um, I used to go to a church of his up in Chester. Still got his pulpit there, I believe. Uh, but he wrote this about this verse. He says that there is a care of diligence, which is our duty, and consists in a wise forecast and due concern. That's how we should, we should be. We should have a diligent care. But there is a care and a distrust, which is our sin and folly, and which only perplexes and distracts the mind. Now, Paul is saying here, be careful for nothing. Is it a possibility? Well, it must be. 
It must be. There are no impossibilities if God tells us to do something. And Paul is here, he's telling through the Holy Spirit, don't be careful, don't, don't worry and be anxious about anything. Do we get worried? Do we get anxious about things? Oh, we sure do. I do. But I shouldn't. Because the Bible tells me here, be careful for nothing. You see, it's a lack of trust in God. And we're all prone to it here tonight, whoever we are. Um, you know that if we obeyed God's word, our stress levels will go down. <laughs> That's what Paul is saying here. You want your stress levels to go down? Simple. You know, Gavin this morning, he was saying about things like what I'm speaking here from the Bible. A lot of people say that that's just simplistic platitudes or whatever. You know, it may be simplistic, but these are profound truths that work. Amen? They work. They work for Paul. They will work for us also. What did um, the Lord Jesus Christ say in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25? You're basically saying that seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, I haven't got many hairs on my head right now. I'm losing them day by day. I see them sometimes on my, on my jumper, along with my dog's hairs. Okay, I'm losing my hair. But listen, God knows every hair of my head, and he knows everyone here tonight. And he cares for every hair. He cares about you tonight. He knows you by name, and he loves you. And he's concerned for you. And the last thing he wants you to do is to have burdens on you and cares and anxieties and things that are going to bring you down into the dust. He wants you tonight to put your trust in him. How wonderful. That's Matthew 6.25. I wonder tonight, are there cares in your life? Well, if you're honest about it, yes, there is. You may not feel tonight about talking about them to anybody, but you know in your heart what they are. I know in my heart what they are. I know what gets me down sometimes. I know what brings me down and gets me downcast. But I shouldn't be there. I wonder tonight, are you going to keep worrying? Am I going to keep worrying about these cares? Why not cast them upon him? The Bible says that he careth for you. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. How are we to have our cares dealt with? Well, let's just turn to verse 6 again. Be careful for nothing. And here's the answer. It's simplistic. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. What's the answer? Prayer. That's what Paul is telling these Philippians to do. He's saying, look, when you have cares, he says, in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God. Why? Because he cares for you. It may sound simplistic, but that doesn't matter. The gospel is simplistic, but it works. It saves people, and he can save us. 
Let me just quote you again what Matthew Henry says on this verse. He says, We must pray upon every particular emergency. When anything burdens our spirits, we must ease our minds in prayer. Isn't that wonderful? That we can just go into our room and we can close that door and we can be alone with God and we can have peace and rest in the presence of Jesus. How wonderful. He says that when our affairs are perplexed or distressed, we must seek direction and support. But sometimes we don't know the way, but he does. How wonderful. You know that when we depend upon God, there are two results. The first one is that God is honoured, and the second is that we have peace. Let me just give you an illustration. Um, for those of us who have been in this church for maybe a year, maybe two years, okay, you would have seen an illustration that the pastor has given time and time and time and time again. And it makes me and Angelica laugh sometimes. Um, but you know that the truth in it is it works, it's profound. And um, does anybody know Tyler? Okay, well, he tells, the pastor tells of a story, right? We know that our pastor is a loving father, don't we? He loves his children, Yeah. He loves them. You know that from the pulpit. And one time he had Tyler up here on the stage. Okay. And he said to Tyler, I don't know if, I don't think I was here at the time. Peter and Diane may have been. But he says to Tyler, he says, Tyler, he says, jump off that platform and I want you to jump and you're going to land in my loving arms. Okay. And here we have a loving father and he's telling his son to jump. Trust me and just jump into my arms and I'm going to catch you, okay? And Tyler was on the edge of the stage like this, okay? And he's like this, thinking, should I do it? Is he really going to catch me? Is he really going to care for me? And then all of a sudden, he goes, jumps. And he jumps into his father's loving arms. And you know that I believe that the pastor was honoured. Why? Because his son put his trust in him. And we see, secondly, that Tyler, he would have had peace because he was in his father's loving arms. And you know, it's like us tonight. We have a heavenly father who loves us. We have cares. But he wants us to jump into his arms because he loves us. Wonderful. Fourthly, we see in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, we see some themes for thought. There are some things that as Christians we need to start thinking upon. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, which is moral excellence, and if there be any praise, what are we to do? Think on these things. And Paul is telling us here as Christians that if we are to know the peace of God, that we need to start having our thinking changed. We need to start thinking differently. Because it's in here that is one of the starting places that is going to affect our lives in the mind. We see and we hear things, and we start to churn them over and think them over in the mind. But it's what are we thinking upon? 
What are those things that we're going to... Paul says here that there are eight praiseworthy things to think upon. And isn't it amazing that as we look at each one of them, truth, honesty, justice, purity, we're seeing here the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul Paul is basically saying that, look at Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible says that he is altogether lovely. The Bible says that he is just. He's without sin. It's wonderful. He's praiseworthy. That's why we praise him. And Paul is saying here that we need to start having our mind and our thinking change. We need to start thinking upon Jesus and upon his life and upon his words. Not only are we to think upon Jesus, but, you know, these things that we're thinking about in verse 8, they're all to be found here in this book, the Bible. And it's as if Paul was saying... Christians, read your Bibles. That's what Paul is saying. Think on these things in this book. The reason why we get down so often and we get depressed, and we do if we're honest, is because we're not having our minds fixed upon the Word of God. God wants to set us free. And he wants us to have peace. And he wants us to have joy. But it's to be found in these things. In the Lord Jesus Christ and in his word. Do I, do I get depressed? I sure do. I've been in some bad places when I've lost my jobs. I know what it's like. Where do I go? What do I start doing with those thoughts that I have that I'm useless? I don't have enough qualifications. I'm not going anywhere in life. I'm useless. What do I do? Do I go down there? Is that where God wants me? Does God want me to start running off to the doctor and to the pharmacy? No, he doesn't. He wants me to run to him. He wants me to think upon these things. And that's where we need to go with those thoughts. Where are we going to go with those thoughts of depression? Where are we going to go with those thoughts of, you're no good. We're going to go here. If we've got any sense as Christians, this is where we're going. You may say it's simplistic. Well, you can say what you like, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says tonight. Let's just turn to Psalm 119 and let's just see where the psalmist went when he went down. And you know, this psalmist, this King David knew all about going down there, but he knew how to get out of it as well. And um, he says in verse 28, Psalm 119, verse 28, he says, My soul melteth, it drops for heaviness. And then he says, Strengthen thou me according unto thy word. You see, it's the word of God. That's where David's going to get his strength and his help. Wonderful. Let's just turn to a, another verse, verse 20, um, sorry, verse 92. Unless thy law had been my delights, I should then have perished in mine affliction. See, the devil wants us to perish in afflictions. But we see here that the psalmist 
says that unless thy law had been my delights, God wants you to delight in his word. This is the answer. The Lord Jesus Christ and his precious word for us. Let's just turn to 107. He says, I am afflicted very much. Quicken me. Make me alive. O Lord, according unto thy word. And last verse here, 165, wonderful verse. says, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. How often do we spend time in this book when those thoughts start to come? This is where we need to go. We need to go to the word of God. He wants to help us. You know, somebody once said that the mind is the battlefield. And you know, we are in a battle tonight. As Christians, we're in a spiritual battle. Read Ephesians. Let's just turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Just one book. Okay, we're in a battle. The Bible says that we're fighting not against flesh and blood, but we're fighting against principalities, against powers, against the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. But in this battle, there are two pieces of armour that we need to put on every single day. And the first one, let's just see. Verse 13 says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armour of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Now, if we don't put this armour on when we're going out of our house tomorrow morning, Don't be surprised if you start getting attacks and you start to go down. We need to put the full armour on. And there's two sets of armour. Verse 17, Paul says, take the helmet of salvation. What does the helmet cover? It covers the head. It covers the mind. Okay, if you protect the head, then your mind is going to be protected. If we protect our mind and our thoughts with the word of God, we're going to be protected. The devil is out there tonight. He's actually, he can be here tonight and he can bring thoughts into our minds which are ungodly and untrue. We need to take them to the Lord and we need to make sure that we have the helmet on. Secondly, we see, he says, and the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. The helmet of salvation and the word of God. And we're ready. We're ready to stand. That's what God says in his word. Wonderful. And fifthly tonight, book of Philippians chapter 4, we see here the importance of a testimony, a good testimony. Paul says, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Wow. (laughs) I wonder how many of us tonight can say that about ourselves. You know, to those people around us, to our family members, to our loved ones, can we say, look, those things which you've learned of me, those things which you've received, those things which you've heard and which you've seen me do, do them. See, Paul here has got a testimony. Wonderful, isn't it? The importance of having a good testimony to those outside. It's so important. You know, the only, per, the only thing that a lost person may see of Jesus Christ in this world, you may never read the Bible, 
It may be you. The only thing that he looks at, what are people seeing in us? You know, sometimes it may be better that a lost person doesn't know that we're a Christian. You might say, well, how, how on earth could that be? Well, sometimes we can be a bad testimony. Let me just give you a couple of, a, a scripture from Paul in Romans 2, 24. He says, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, by God's people, the Jews. His name was being blasphemed. The Bible says, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. A testimony is important. Let me just leave you with this last illustration. 25 years ago, I became a Christian. And um, does anybody know Alice Cooper? Anybody heard of him? Yeah? I used to love Alice Cooper. I used to have his records. I used to go to, down, even down to Wembley, and I used to watch him in concert, and I used to buy his T-shirts, okay? And um, this was around 1990, because that's the year when I became a Christian. And uh, I remember that I, um, I came to work one day with this T-shirt on. It had Alice Cooper. It had all blood all over it. Not real blood, but just a picture of Alice Cooper. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's called the Prince of Darkness or something like that. But, um, you know, his songs are basically about darkness, okay? And um, I thought, this was before I became a Christian, I thought, I'm going to impress people by that T-shirt that I've just bought. And I'm going to show it off. And um, I knew that this person, this friend of mine, I used to do jobs on his motorbike in, in a garage. And he came in one day, and I knew he was a Christian. And he came up to me, and um, I told him where I'd been the night before. I said, I've just been to Wembley Arena, and I'm, I've seen Alice Cooper. And I thought that he was going to be really happy about it. And I thought, you know, this, when he hears about this, he's going to be really impressed. But I noticed that there was a dislike in what he saw and in what I was saying. And it's because he was a Christian. And do you know that that reaction spoke to me in those early days, just before I became a Christian. And I believe that that helped me to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because of the way that he reacted because of his testimony. A few weeks ago, no, just last week I think it was, I went to the um, motorbike show down in, uh, at the NEC. And um, I was there with my brother and his nephew, okay? Sorry, my nephew, his son. And um, he, met some, he told me that he met somebody a few weeks ago at a motorbike club. And um, we need to listen to this, okay? And he said to me, he says that... Um, I met so-and-so at this motorbike club and he told me that about 23 or 24 years ago, something happened in his life and God was not there for him. He said that God didn't help him. God was not there to help him through that situation. And for about 23, 24 years now, he just turned from the Lord. And you know, when I heard that, my heart sank because my brother told me who it was. 
And it was this same man that came into the garage where I worked. A good testimony is important. And you know, my heart sank. You know why? Because I've been witnessing to my brother for 25 years now. And he had, his nep- he had my nephew there as well. And he said to my brother and my nephew that the Lord is not there for him. He didn't work. Christianity doesn't work. I couldn't believe it. The Bible says, Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It wasn't the fault of Jesus. It was the fault of my friend because he hadn't dealt with his situation like he should have done. A good testimony is so important. I don't know what my brother thought about him, but I know what he heard. And I know what he's probably thinking right now. Probably thinking, well, maybe it just doesn't work. Well, we need to leave it in the Lord's hands. I pray for my friend every single day. You know, there's one prayer that you can pray when you get up in the morning, and it's from Psalm 19. And it's these words. The words of the psalmist says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, my Redeemer and my strength. Psalm 19. That basically covers everything. The words that come out and the meditations of our hearts. Let's have a word of prayer, shall we? Dear Lord, we just thank you tonight for the word of God. We thank you for your wonderful salvation. Lord, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve your mercy and your grace upon us, but we thank you that you are a loving God and you love each and every one of us here in this room tonight and you're not willing that any should perish. Oh Lord, if there's one here tonight who doesn't know the joy of salvation, we pray that they may turn to you tonight. And for us, Lord, who are Christians, we pray that you'd help us to deal with life's situations according to the word of God And we pray, dear Lord, that we may have a good testimony to those outside. And we know, Lord, that it's the grace of God. We pray that you'd help us with this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.